Okay, we're in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 13 through 20, and this is the section we're going to be covering tonight. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. It says, When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is what we're going to be covering tonight. And so let's go back now to what he just says uh, in, in chapter, chapter 6, verse 13. But in order to really catch up with where, what he's going to be dealing with as he deals with promises and oaths, you have to kind of be reminded of where we left off last week. Last week, at the end of where we were, look at verse 12. The Hebrew writer says, We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So now the question is, what was promised? Alright, he tells us to not be lazy, but through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. What has been promised? Well, now we see he goes in verse 13 and says, When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So this promise that the Hebrew writer is referring to, that we're to wait patiently for as well, it appears, he is. it has to be a promise that God made to Abraham, and a promise that God made to Abraham and when he swore by himself. So now, in order to do that, you have to do a little bit of study to find out when did God ever swear by Himself in a promise to Abraham. Let's take a look. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Because we know in Genesis 12 there's a promise to Abraham. From God to Abraham. Let's see what it says. So the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Is this the promise that the Hebrew writer is referring to? And if yes, why yes? And if no, why no? You all are shy. He doesn't swear by himself here. Now, it's kind of a trick question. Because actually, as you're about to see, this is the same promise. But God reaffirms the promise at a certain point later in Abraham's life. And that's in Genesis 22. And it's in Genesis 22 that God swears by Himself in reaffirming the promise that He just had made here to Abram in chapter 12. But in doing so in chapter 22... He swears, swears an oath. Look at chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. 
This is after God has said to Abram, take your son Isaac. Remember, it's been many years now. Abraham has given birth with Sarah to Isaac, the promised child. He's at a certain age now, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him on this mountain that I'll show you. Uh, He goes to do it, and God stops him, provides the ram in place. And so now the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, And have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, this is almost the exact same promise that God had said in chapter 12. Actually, there are many times that God reminds him of the promise. If you were to go back and look at chapter 15, when Abraham says, Hey, I haven't had a child yet. Is it going to be my servant who's going to be my heir? Is he of Damascus? And God takes him outside and says, Look at the stars. Count them if you can. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be. And of course, as we know, Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. But here is the place that the Hebrew writer is referring to because interestingly enough, God does something here. God can, can, he doesn't change the promise. He just reminds him of the promise. But what does he do different? I'm sorry? He gives a reason and he also swears by himself. He actually swears by himself. Now the Hebrew writer, if we're back here in chapter, chapter 6, look at what he says. He says in verse 16, Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. But then he says, God, look at what it says here, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. That's an interesting thing, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. So I'm going to ask you to put that whole, why did God use an oath to the side? Because I want to deal with something now, and I want to go back to chapter 22, and I want you to look closely at the, as you were just pointing out, Ron, you know, there's a little bit more detail here to the promise. He had said earlier, all the nation, you know, whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be cursed. But look at what God says specifically now in chapter 22, in verses 15 through 18, in his promise there. Especially there in verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the part of the promise that the Hebrew writer is referring to when he tells the Hebrew Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism and all of us as Christians to hang on, be patient, wait. God is faithful. He will do what He has promised. And the, the blessing is through the offspring of Abraham who is who? It starts with Isaac, goes all the way through the nation of Israel, ultimately through who? Through Jesus, who came from the nation of Israel. Who traced, you can trace his lineage all the way back to Isaac. It is a, the promise is Jesus. But I want to take a little time right now and kind of remind you of something that maybe won't be a reminder. It'll be something you really didn't know. But I want you to understand something. The church was not plan B. A lot of people think that God had a plan for the nation of Israel and because they disobeyed, God came up with plan B. I want you to see scripturally the church was not plan B. The church has always been. Do you remember His promise to Abraham? Through you, all 
people on the earth will be blessed. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. Through you, all, with your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And so, I want to just take you to about three places that show you that the church was not plan B. Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. Here's a very interesting thing that John the Baptist actually says to the people while he is preaching. In Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 9. He says, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Now let that sink in for a minute. John the Baptist is just simply saying, Hey, don't think that just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you're all covered and you're good. Uh, God wants real children, not someone that just says, Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from Abraham, I'm covered. He wants real children. If he wanted to, he could raise up children from these stones. Alright? Now, it gets even more detailed though when you get to Romans 4, when you see the Hebrew of the Hebrews, Paul, writing what he says here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 13. Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, Paul says, look, if you look closely, way back before Abraham even was circumcised, which was in chapter 17, by the way, uh, he was circumcised. Before that, before the giving of the law, God had already given Abraham righteousness. Because of what he had done? No, because he believed God. And when he trusted God, God gave him the gift of righteousness. He said, this whole thing, this nation of Israel, the real Israel are those circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, Jewish or, not, or Gentile, 
Those who trust me by faith. Those who trust me by faith are the ones who have received my gift of salvation. Those are the descendants of Abraham. Yes, there are many Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul himself being one. But he's not going to heaven or in heaven because he was a Jew. He's in heaven because he believed God. And this church thing, this group of Gentiles that Paul later on in the book of Romans says that God actually has been saving the Gentiles who didn't even work for it to make the nation of Israel jealous, to make them realize it's not by their effort but by faith. This church thing has been the plan from the beginning. It, this, what we are experiencing is actually how God's been working all through history. But the Jews missed it because they felt they had to earn God's approval. They felt that they had to be righteous on their own and then God would say that they're okay. And he says from the beginning, that's not how it was. Abraham's the father of all who believe, whether circumcised or uncircumcised. All right, are you with me so far? The church is not plan B. All right, let me show you one other place. Go to Galatians chapter 3. It puts horrible holes in the replacement theology. Replacement theology thinks that God had a plan and now He's going with plan B and plan A is gone. We are... That's this really small God who has to change His plans. Alright, go to Romans chapter... I'm sorry, not Romans. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. Paul deals with this some more. In Romans 3, starting in verse 6. He says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you see it? So when the Hebrew writer now, back in chapter 6 of Hebrews, is saying to them, wait patiently and you'll inherit what has been promised, he's talking about the promise that was made to Abraham, which has been for us as well. I'm going to bless all the world through you, Abraham, because you're going to be the father of a mighty, wonderful nation. There's going to be a nation that continues forever and ever. In Jeremiah, God says, if the sun and the moon stop, you know, he said, the nation of Israel will never, ever cease to be a people before me. They will always exist. And let's be honest, let's just, let's just think about that. Think of how, even in our day, everyone's trying to wipe Israel off the map. Hitler tried it. Many have tried it. How in the world have they even stayed a people? How, do, how in the world is there even such thing as a nation of Israel and the Jews? When, when many other nations have come and gone because God has made a promise. But, as much as He's not done with Israel, the only ones who get to spend eternity with God are those who receive His gift of salvation, righteousness, by faith alone. And it's been that way for Israel from day one, and it's been that way for us Gentiles from the beginning. He's doing it with us Gentiles, though, to show Israel something. I'm going to just tell you straight up. He loves you. He, 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 he's given us 2,000 years of the church age, if you will, to prove that He loves you. But He understands something. From the beginning, it's always been... By faith. And now he's saving all these Gentiles who haven't worked for it like the Jews did for all those years. And Paul said it's to make Israel envious. And at some point, he's going to draw this church age, this age of grace that we call it, to an end. And the rapture is going to occur and we're going to be taken back. And God's going to finish that one last seven year period for the nation of Israel prophesied in Daniel chapter, chapter 9 verses 20 through 27. 
And in that time, He's going to be continuing to reveal Himself to the nation of Israel, and they're going to look on Him whom they pierced, and they're going to realize that it's by faith in Jesus Christ that they're given righteousness. And God is going to then come back and set up His kingdom, and the nation of Israel is going to be the center point of it all. And we'll get to be a part of it. But I just want you to understand, there's a tendency when we look at the promises of God for the church to think that, well, it didn't work with Israel, so now the church is what we have. What we're a part of is what God has designed from the beginning. And every Jew that is in heaven right now is there by faith, not by their own efforts and their own righteousness. Alright? So, let's go back to chapter 6, though, and let's look now closely at what it says here in verse 15. And I'm going to ask you a tough question. It says, And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Alright? It says, After waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. What did he receive? When did he receive it? Was it all received at one time? Or is there still a future part to the promise? Okay, we hear some people saying there's a future part. You're correct. But what did he receive? Because it says he received what was promised. Ah, okay, you're right. But now remember, the part they're referring to, the promise was after he'd already had the son and he went to sacrifice him and God stopped him. So when God swore by an oath, and that's the promise he's referring to, he's definitely confirming the original promise. Mm hmm. Yeah. I'm doing this for a reason. I want you to see something here because it's going to correlate to us in just a second. Is it the beginning of the lineage of Christ and that's how He is now blessed you? He said, I will bless you? The answer, I'm just going to help you out. The answer is in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Well, we're not there yet. That's not fair. Actually, that's something you're going to see tonight is that actually the Hebrew writer keeps developing his point and so the only way to really study Hebrews is to actually have read the whole book of Hebrews because then you'll have to look at some things he's going to say down the road to come back and explain this. And we're going to be doing that a lot tonight. I didn't tell you that. I know, chapter 11. Look at verses 11 through 19. And this will start answering these questions. I'm sorry? Nope, that's right near it, but that's not the one. Chapter 11, look at verses 11 through 19. In the Hall of Fame of Faith, as we like to call it. It says, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, because he considered him faithful, who had been made the promise. Sorry, who had made the promise. That's God. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had received the promises. Sorry, he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back 
from death. Now here's the interesting thing. In chapter 6, the Hebrew writer says, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Yet, in chapter 11, he says all these died, speaking of Abraham, not having received what was promised. Seems to be contradictory there. Well, here's the answer. He received a part of the promise back right there at the time that he offered his son. And the Hebrew writer points it out in chapter 11. He received Isaac back from the dead. Remember, God had made a promise that it was going to be through Isaac. He offered him to God. God, He thought God was... He was so willing to to kill him that he believed God was going to raise him from the dead because God said it was going to be through him. And if God told me to kill him, God must be bringing him back from the dead because that's the only way he's going to work. He so trusted God, he was even willing to see it die. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to do that sometimes? See, a lot of times we think in our minds, well, God said that this was for me. And he might ask you to give it... But God, you said this was for me. Are you willing to give it? And then if you've ever been in that position, ever been in that situation, God gives it back. And you receive what was promised. And in this situation, here's the first part of it, at that time of the sacrifice, He did receive what was promised. He received His Son back from the dead. But it's more. He also has received what was promised Because Jesus talked about it in John chapter 8. Put a bookmark here in Hebrews 6. Go to John chapter 8. In John 8, verses 48 through 59. Chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered Jesus and they said, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? In other words, they just called him a half-breed and controlled by the devil. Alright? Aren't we right in saying that you're a half-breed and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So, let's back this up. The questions were, what did Abraham receive? When did he receive it? Was it all at that time, or is there still a future part to the promise? The answer has three parts. At the time that he went to sacrifice his son, he figuratively did receive his son back from the dead at that time. But it's more. He died then, not having received what was promised. But after he died, where did he go? Into the presence of God. And he longed to see the day when the fulfillment of the promise came to life in the flesh. And Jesus himself left glory, took on the form of man. And Abraham saw it and he was glad. 
But there's still more to the promise. Because you remember, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Jesus is going to come back and set up His kingdom. And there's part of the promise about how the nation of Israel is going to live in their enemy's territory and all this stuff. And so the promise He received at the time, because Isaac came back from the dead. But as He says later in chapter 11, He died not having received what was promised, because the fulfillment hadn't happened yet with Jesus. But He did get to receive it. He waited patiently, and He did receive it, as He says in chapter 6. But there's still a future part of it as well. And guess what? The same is true for you and me. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Are you saved or are you being saved? The answer is yes, both. Are you glorified or are you being glorified? Yes, it's both. All the way through Scripture you'll see it's a picture of something that is true and it's real and it's done. The Scripture, and I'm going to show you a couple places that talk about it that way. Our salvation is that sure, yet we're still in the process of receiving it. And it's the same thing that happened to Abraham. He got a a promise, he got a small fulfillment there, a little bit later on, and more later on. And we have a hard time with that, don't we? It's hard being patient. How many times have you thought, Lord, man, why don't you just save me and take me to heaven now? That's not how he does it. Our ceiling was immediate. immediate. When when you're saved, he gives you his spirit, you're his forever. He was credited righteousness and sealed immediately. You're right. So, have you received what was promised to you? Yes. Uh, are you still waiting to receive what was promised? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the struggle of living in this life. And that's why the Hebrew writers ended up last week by saying to us what? Don't be lazy. Patiently wait for what has been promised. Keep the faith. You will be richly rewarded one day. God, for His purposes, is wanting to show His glory through a people who will be satisfied with their lot in life and the way God does things. Because you know what? That's the exact opposite of what Satan did. Satan was a created being. Satan was given a position of great glory. And Satan was not satisfied with his lot in life. He was not satisfied with how God did things. And he said, I don't like the way God does things. I want to be in charge. I want to have things done the way I want. And he was cast out of heaven. And then he infected the human race with that same attitude. And if we would be willing to lay that down. Oh, by the way, in the flesh you still have it, don't you? Don't you still have it in your flesh? I have it in mine. I sure could. You know, I, you know what? You know what's one of the saddest things? And I've, I've talked about this in some of your churches. I get so tired of hearing in our churches. That's not how I would have done it. And I say, what a surprise! We're all humans still, and we got the flesh, and we all would have a say on how things ought to be. We all want to vote. We all want a church where we all get an equal vote. But if you're willing to say. I think God is so great. I think God is so awesome. I think God is so perfect. I'm willing to lay down what I want. And I want to worship Him. And I will wait patiently for all that He's promised, even if I don't see it in my life. All these died, never having received what was promised. Do you realize that Abraham had been promised that land and his descendants that land? And do you know that all through Abraham's life, oh, and Jacob's life and Isaac's life, 
they lived in tents. The promise for them to receive the land didn't happen until hundreds of years later at the time of Moses. Do you realize that when Abraham's wife Sarah died, he couldn't bury her without purchasing a piece of property there in Israel? He had to buy a piece of property to bury his wife. Why? Because it wasn't theirs yet. They were strangers in the land. Later on, if it was theirs, he didn't have to buy it to do it. But at that time he did. He never received the fulfillment of that promise. Oh, but he will. One day Abraham is going to be living on the land in Israel. And Jesus is going to be reigning and David's going to be reigning from Jerusalem. And Abraham and all those people. And we're going to be a part of it. It's all going to be fulfilled. And if Abraham waited patiently, we should too. We should too. And I know sometimes it gets hard. I know sometimes it gets hard. All I can tell you is what the Hebrew writer says. Keep going. Keep going. God is faithful. And that's why tonight's message, we couldn't jump to Melchizedek too soon. Because there's something else now that the Hebrew writer wants us to see that I don't want you to miss. Yes, ma'am. Well, in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, he was talking about the fact that there were those who were make, preaching the gospel. They're doing it to make him look bad. And he said, I don't care. Right, the gospel is being preached. It's not about me or my position or whether not people like me. Shouldn't we have that? We, well, we should. But don't we, all, don't we all struggle, though, with wanting everybody to like us? We sure do. <laughs> well, everybody except Ron. <laughs> and, and, and Allison. All right. Well, that's good because we don't like any of you, and so you guys should be real happy. All right, now, all right, let me just show you a couple of those places, places that talk about where we've received the promises, all right, and yet they're still future. Go to Romans chapter 8. If you haven't noticed by now, we spend a lot of time going back to Romans 8. If you have not memorized the whole of Romans 8, I'm begging you, please do. It will be one of the greatest blessings in your entire life that your Father will continue to bring to your memory at many times in your life. You've heard me say this before, but Erwin Lutzer told me one day years ago when I was pastoring in Chicago, he said if he had to do it over again, he would have all new Christians study Romans 8 for the first year of their walk with Christ and have them grasp the truth and the promises of Romans 8, and he wouldn't expect anything else out of them until they understood Romans 8. And then their Christian doing would come out of the understanding of their position in Christ. But in Romans 8, look at what Paul says. Um, he's talking about how all creation's longing for, to, to, for, for, for the sons of God to be revealed. But look at verses 23, 23 and following. He said, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Is that not true? Are you not feeling that right now, that homesickness for heaven that is so strong? But then he goes on and says in uh, verse uh, 28 and 29, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. That's past tense. But how many of you have experienced your glorification fully? Me neither. No, it's not. We, we've got it, but it's still future. Let me show you. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I hope that you all in the back, as the rain is starting to build up, can still hear. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. 
Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice he has, been, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see it? Past tense, future tense. Present, future. He's made you perfect forever, but you're still being made holy. You've received the promise. Wait patiently for the promise. That's the struggle you're experiencing and you're wondering why. That's why, unfortunately, there are those who start to teach a dominion theology or a health and wealth gospel where they try to take the promises that are still future and make them now. You can't do that, folks. That's not what the Bible says. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they died with not having received what was promised. Paul spent his whole life suffering for Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking that God wants your best life now. You are sealed. You are His. You have received what is promised and you better wait patiently to receive the rest of the promise. And it's coming. And it's coming. How do we know this? Because God did something bizarre. God who does not lie felt a need to swear an oath. Now you've got to think about that for a minute. I don't even know if that's even possible for us to grasp. Because I don't think we even fully understand the holiness of God. God, when He speaks, He can't help but speak truth. It's not that He thinks, should I tell the truth or should I tell a lie? He, he, truth is the only thing that even comes out of Him. Why then would He have to stoop? Why then would He have to take a man's way of doing some, something? As the Hebrew writer says, you know, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and then the oath confirms what is said. In other words, the reason why men swear oaths is because sometimes men lie. Now, we wish nowadays that men would keep even their oaths. They don't even do that. Go ahead, you need to say something? Neil, go ahead. Um, yeah. He Exactly. He used, a, he used a term that we would understand. And listen closely. This is where he starts to, by the way, he starts to move into the Melchizedek study. Remember back in chapter 5, verse 10, he left the Melchizedek study. He mentioned Melchizedek and then he said, I have much more to tell you, but I'm not sure you're ready to handle it. At this point you should be teachers, but you're infants. We went through all that last couple weeks ago, remember? He's now moving back into his teaching about Melchizedek and he makes a wonderful transition here. He just said, hold on to the promise. Wait patiently for the promise. Hey, God made a promise to Abraham and he's going to keep it. He swore it by an oath. And then as we've just dealt with all that, the Hebrew writer now says, oh, by the way, there's another time he swore an oath. Do you know what the other time it was that he swore an oath? It's in Psalm 110. Go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 4. Actually, I'm going to start at the, in verse 1 just because it will refer to something you just read in Hebrews 11. In Psalm 110, look at verses 1 through 4. 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Remember that? We read in Hebrews that he sat down at the Father and he's waiting until all his enemies made his footstool for his feet. And then God goes on to say, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Talking about Jesus. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. And then he says in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, we will deal with Melchizedek and who he was next week. But for tonight, I want to take some time in the time that we have left to deal with... This is a huge deal, folks, that God would swear an oath. He doesn't have to. God doesn't need to say scout's honor. When God says it, He means it. He can't lie. Now, for the sake of time, I won't have you turn there, but write these scriptures down that deal with the fact that God cannot lie and will not lie. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 talks about that. He's not a man that he should lie or that he change, or change his mind. All right, that's Numbers twenty-three verse nineteen, and Titus chapter one verses one and two. In Titus chapter one verses one and two, Paul talks about the fact that God cannot lie. All right. So men swear by oaths in order to convince people of their honesty. God doesn't need to. So as we've just asked, if God, who cannot lie, swears an oath, why? The answer is for us. Yeah. But it's for us. Look closely at the Hebrew writer goes on to say, I'm going to read it to you again, starting in verse 16. Look at what he says. It says, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said. And he put and puts an end to all argument. But unfortunately, we're living in the 2000s, and man's not even that way anymore. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters this inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf and then he's become a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Why did God swear an oath? He did it for who? The heirs of what was promised. So that we would what? Have an anchor for our soul that we would have something to hold on to. Something firm. And a very interesting thing though, he says, God did this by two unchangeable things. Any idea what those two unchangeable things are? It's really not that hard. But it's confusing if you don't really see it right off. What are the two unchangeable things that he's done that we've been looking at tonight? No, we're talking about the promise. Talking about the promise. It's real simple. The two unchangeable things are this. One, he made his promise. And two, he swore it with an oath. One, he's made his promise. And two, he sealed it with an oath. Those are, the, those are the two things. He's done it so we would hold on to it. We'd have something to hang on to. In other words, he, I wrote it this way. Not only has God promised it, but Jesus has already accomplished it. And He's gone behind the veil into God's presence to secure it on our behalf. In other words, if God says He will come get you, if God says He'll seal you, you're His, you're guaranteed eternity with Him, you'll be rewarded for your faithfulness, rewarded for your obedience, rewarded for your patience, rewarded for being willing to lay down 
That's why he said, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Not living for this world, but living for the one to come. Trusting God even though he may slay me. Even though for his sake we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We face death all day long. We come to that place where we say, you know what, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Neither nakedness or hardship or famine or sore. Nothing will separate me from God's love. I'm holding on to Him. And the reason we can is because God has made a promise and He will keep it. Yes, ma'am. That's why the phrase by faith is repeated over and over and over. Yes. The righteous will live by faith. So, folks, if God has promised something, and He then didn't need to, but chose to, for our sake, said, and I swear by myself, don't doubt. Now, why is the Hebrew writer, though, writing this to Christians? What were they doing? They were doubting. They were starting to, because of struggle, starting to say... It ain't worth it. How do we know He's going to do it? And by the way, if you were to hear someone whisper in your ear, it ain't worth it, how do we know He's going to do it? Who's whispering in your ear? His words are trustworthy and true. And so Jesus, let me say this again, God not only has promised it, Jesus has accomplished it, and He's gone behind the veil into God's presence to secure it on our behalf. I'm going to just, I thought for the time that we had left tonight, I want to just read to you just some scriptures that just seal this deal. Alright, I'm going to read to you one from Peter, and the rest are all going to be from Hebrews. See, one of the problems, or not really a problem, but one of the struggles of teaching the book of Hebrews is the Hebrew writer keeps developing everything he says with the next part, and the next part, and the next part, and the next part. In order to teach it, you kind of have to study ahead to come back to explain where you are. And so I'm going to be doing that. Go ahead, Edith. Behind the veil, good question. Remember, in the temple, and we're going to get to that down the road, there was a veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And God dwelt in the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And the only person that was allowed to go behind the veil was who? The high priest, and only once a year, and with blood on himself and for everybody else, alright? Jesus went behind the real veil, up in the presence of God. Remember, the temple was a picture of what's in heaven. Jesus has gone into the presence of God on our behalf, and he's the high priest, as you're going to see next week in the order of Melchizedek and what that means. But behind the veil means he's gone into God's presence himself. Have you ever had a human being doing a very important job for you and you sat there hoping they would get it done? You know, and those of you in business, you know, you, you might have a, an emissary of some sort or a salesperson going to seal a deal or close the deal and you sit back there saying, I know he's on my side. I sure hope he does a good job. I hope he gets this done. Well, we've had Jesus now take care of this for us. And it's done. And it's taken care of. Let me, I want you to see this. Like I said, the best way I can explain this to you is just to read the Scripture. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 5. And in the time we have left, I'm just going to read to you Scripture. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's yours. And it's being kept in heaven for you. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Chapter... I'm sorry? The last days actually began when Jesus came to the earth. The last days began when Jesus came to the earth. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verses 23 through 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Talking about human priests from the Levitical priesthood. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him, because He always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for His own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. When he offered himself, for the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath, do you see it? Which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. What's this oath that came after the law? Wait a minute, Jim. The oath we looked at tonight is in Genesis 22. That was before the law. What's the oath that came after the law? The one in Psalm 110. Girl, you get a gold star. I'm proud of my daughter. That's awesome. The one in Psalms 110, where God says, I have sworn an oath, and you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Boy, that just makes a dad feel good. That's just awesome. That is awesome. Chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, as I read with tears in my eyes. That's awesome. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. Nicole also kept you from having to listen to the whole study all over again, too. She was paying attention. When Christ came, chapter 9, verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Are you starting to see a pattern here of the fact that what Jesus has done is secure and sealed and solid and don't worry about losing it? Chapter 9, look at verses 24 through 28. 
For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did He enter heaven to offer Himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then it says, Just as man is destined to die once and so after to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. One last passage, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. These are all things we're going to study in detail when we get there, but I just had to read them to you tonight because they go with where we're at. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. We've read part of this already, but look at this together. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for one time, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Folks, you understand why I just couldn't get to Melchizedek just yet? Christians need to know this. God made a promise to Abraham, and He has been keeping that promise from way, 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 way back for thousands of years. And Abraham doubted, and God said, Don't worry, I'm going to keep my promise. And He reassured Abraham, and He credited Abraham with righteousness when Abraham believed Him. And then down the road, He again made swore an oath to him now and swore by himself, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to do something that the whole nations, all the nations will be blessed through your offspring. And now that promise is still ours. That promise of faith and righteousness. And yes, as in Abraham's situation, there were times that it looked like it might not happen. And in these days, between now and when Jesus comes to get us, There are going to be times that it looks like it might not happen or it's not happening or Satan's winning. And people you've been praying for don't seem to be responding. Or the things that you're asking God for don't seem to be coming through. Wait patiently. Because God will accomplish all that He's promised. You've already received part of the promise. You've been sealed. But Jesus Himself went into the presence of God, sat down, securing the fact that you're His. And one day, I think soon, we too, like Abraham, will will rejoice at the thought of seeing His day and see it and be glad. I can't wait. Now, he wraps up this section that we were just in tonight by saying this. He, Jesus, has been made, become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I promise, unless there's a tornado or I have to go to a funeral, which I may have to do in Chicago, I promise that when we're back together, we will deal with who is Melchizedek. Was he a man? Was he God? Some think he was Shem. Who was Melchizedek? I'm going to give you my best best go at who I think it is. I'll give you the options and why. And I'll tell you why I think it's who it is. But that'll be for when we get back together. But understand this. There's something pretty important about this Melchizedek guy. Because as we see, it's been a main focus of the teaching of the book of Hebrews. 
and Jesus has been made a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, what does that mean to be continued? Let me pray for us. Father, thank You again for Your Word. Thank You for those that are listening online and catching up to where we've left off. Lord, bring us back together hungry, safely. But Lord, between now and then, may we not be more focused on who was Melchizedek, but may we be hanging on to the anchor of our souls. May we be hanging on to Your promise, Your oath, that we would be people who live by faith, despite what's going on around us. That we would not be like Satan and not be satisfied with our lot in life and want to be God. That we would honestly say, even though things are going like I may not want them, God is still God and I'm not. And He's good. And we will worship You. I pray that for all of us in the days to come. In Your name, Jesus. Amen.